I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Welcome. Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. This is a podcast where we're exploring the idea of what it means to live under a system of grace or to rely on grace to live the Christian life as opposed to living under the Ten Commandment mentality where we know what is expected of us and we grit our teeth and and with all our self-determination do the best that we can to live the Christian life. We're exploring which one of these ideas does the Bible actually go with and Over the last few podcasts, we've learned that we are not under the Ten Commandment mentality. We are not under the law, the Mosaic law. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 7, 1 through 7 says that we've been released from the law because when we were under the law, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law mastered us and made us bear fruit for death. So therefore, we've been released from the law. We've been released to that which we were bound so that we can walk in newness of life, that we could walk and bear fruit to God. But that we went through several verses that told us we were not under the law. And then we looked at all the verses that gave us warnings about being under the law. And we we even looked at the verses that told us why we were being warned not to get ourselves under the law. And it was because of a law principle of like a law of gravity, a sin dynamic whereby sin lives in us, the very people who want to do good, but sin causes us to do what we don't want to do and not do what we do want to do because sin actually battles within us. That is in our human nature, our human ability, the sin battles inside of that sphere and masters us and makes us a prisoner to sin and we just go on embarrassing ourselves again and again and again because sin is running rampant in our lives and we saw that it wasn't because we weren't determined enough because even Paul was determined enough but we were trying to do it in the weakness of our human capability like it said in in, Romans 8, 3, that what the law could not do because it was weakened by the human nature, God did, sending his son in likeness of sinful nature, and on and on it goes. But it was Romans 8, 3 was telling us that the, the law had a fault with it. It was weakened by our human nature. And then we went into all the verses that told us that we do have both a spiritual nature and a human nature. And we looked at all the different, not not all of them, we, we just looked at a few, a few of the vast number of verses that depict the human nature or the divine nature in different synonymous ways. But they're always talking about flesh or spirit, the human nature or the spiritual nature which the spiritual nature is nothing less than Christ in us, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. But we saw that we have these two natures, and we saw all the verses that gave us warnings about being under the law. And now tonight, I would like to look at another topic that often confuses Christians. It confused me for a long time. It had me under the 
it had me thinking for sure that the Bible was telling me that I was under the commandment system because the Bible kept saying, repent. And that's the word I want to look at tonight. I've got my partner, Bill, here with me, and he's going to roll along on this subject. And we're going to get to the bottom of what it means to repent, what it means for a Christian in the 21st century to repent, or what would it mean for somebody who's living by a way of grace to repent. We're going to look into this word because for a long time it confused me and I totally realized that it could be confusing many of you. So with that in mind, I'd like to introduce my partner, Bill. Hey, Steve, thanks for the introduction. By the grace of God, we can get a lot of repenting going on. And the actual meaning of the word repentance, I I took an opportunity to look up the word repentant in just a regular dictionary, an online dictionary. Here's what means to be apologetic, contrite, remorseful, regretful, sorry, compunction, rueful. Not sure what rueful means, but no, me neither. But we that's a definition. That. <laughs> gotta be rueful. Yeah. But that's a definition of a word that is not used in the New Testament or the Old Testament, that they translate the word repentance. In the New Testament, the word they translate as repentance is the word metanoia. Metanoia. Meta is change, like metamorphosis is change appearance. Noia is has to do with the mind or what you know or your thoughts. So really the, the word, the definition what it really would mean when Jesus says repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, is change your mind. Meta is comes after a thought, and it's changing the thought that you had before. So on verses like Jesus saying, right the first of his ministry, right out of the box, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're going to hit this from a lot of angles, but just to get started, let's look at it two ways. We could take the definition I first gave you, feel guilty, feel regretful, feel sorry, feel bad, feel shame, because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what it would mean if the word repentance was there. Or we could look at it as Jesus saying, change your mind for the kingdom of God is at hand so if the kingdom of God is at hand and they're supposed to change their mind or change their thoughts from the previous thought then the previous thought had to be that the kingdom of God was what not at hand, far away the kingdom of God was far away in time and space But the thing, and we're going to get to this at the end, not now, but what's going to blow our mind is Jesus was actually saying that he was making a political statement saying the kingdom of God is in you, but you you need to change your mind, change your thinking, change your thoughts. It's not far away in time or space. So why is that so important to get the right meaning of the word repentance? Because if they had just changed, if they had used the the thought, the definition of the word metanoia, Jesus would have come out and said, change your mind to the kingdom of God is at hand. And when you put that in all the others, I mean, I suppose there is a, a place to be regretful or feel bad or feel sorry but the idea is doesn't have to be a um, it, it can be a joyful repentance like if you said change your mind the movie has not started yet and you thought you were a half hour late you're like wow good i'm on time you've changed your thought but anyway i just wanted to get that as a as a groundwork for working with the right definition the right meaning of what jesus meant when he said repent yes because for so long in my christian life i thought repentance meant stop sinning turn from your wicked ways and it's true that that is how the word was used throughout the old testament when the israelites were under the mosaic law they were supposed to repent from sinning and start again to be obedient 
to those 614 commands which they had drifted away from. So God would say, repent, and it means stop doing the bad things that you're doing and start doing some good things. That is what it always meant to me. And it turned out that I was reading the New Testament and the New Covenant and these epistles with that lens, that traditional view of repentance. And it just wasn't working for me anymore. Just like Bill said, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The idea of stop sinning for the kingdom of God is hand doesn't really work there as well as change your mind is at hand. But we're going to look into some, some more verses that bring out this idea that the word repentance has evolved from the Old Testament to the New Testament to mean something different than what I always thought it was and what I was always trying to do. I was constantly going down the altar down to the altar to repent and to rededicate myself and to try harder. And what you in effect did, Steve, was you turned back to the law to stop sinning. And your focus became repent to you meant stop sinning. So what did you do? You went back to the law and found out what you would not have known what sin was and hadn't been from the law. So in a sense, it did the opposite because of your misunderstanding of what the word repentance actually is trying to convey. You took it to mean stop sinning and not change your mind. And by doing that, you put yourself right back under the law. That's why it's so important to see what this word means. And it's not a Bible error. It, it is a translation error. If that I don't mean to sound controversial, but sometimes a better word could be used in translation. Tell us how the word originated. It comes from a Latin word and a French word that means punishment. Penance is payment for wrongdoing. We get words you've probably heard of. Penitentiary is a place where you go to pay for your crime. Penance was something religious people did in the Catholic Church, and it spread to other churches, was something that you could pay for your wrongdoing and sin. Or you could pay, if not money, or if not in time in jail, you could pay by doing good deeds to offset the bad deed. None of that is the gospel, would it be? No, no. So to use this word repentance with the with the actual definition, we see that it's actually the wrong word to, to use. But if we just would translate, change your mind, change your thought, when we have the word, if we just came up with a word for change your mind, one word for change your mind, this would be so much confusion and so much sending people back to the law which we've you spent a lot of time explaining how the law the power of sin is in the law and through the law is the knowledge of sin and how even sin uses the law sin taking opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death and how a misunderstanding of the word repentance can actually put you back under a law ten commandment system and make you miserable. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 and we're going to read a little passage and it doesn't become blaringly obvious that the idea of repentance has changed. Read with me, let's say in Matthew chapter 3 where John the Baptist is down at the river Jordan and he's telling everybody repent for the kingdom of God is at hand in Matthew 3 2. This is like day one of his message. Yeah, yeah. And it says in verse, let's say verse five, he went to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the districts around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, and they confessed their sins. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming up for baptism, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Why would he say to the 
people who were the most holy, the people that were actually getting holiness right, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were actually doing a good job at living right. They were doing the best job and they were trying to tell people around them to repent from their sins and do a good job like they're doing. Be, be equal to these Pharisees and Sadducees. They had the best intentions. They were saying, God won't be pleased with you if you do not stop, if you do not begin to act like we do. We meaning the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people who try really hard. Why would he tell those people to repent? And then it, it says, and why would he say, I want you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? That's the question that's before us now. What does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Why would he tell the people who are walking the best to repent? Because he wants them to repent in a different way, or the word repentance means something else. Remember, it's the Greek word metanoia. That's why it says, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Repent so you can bear fruit, he was saying to them. He's not using the word repentance as turn from your sins because they weren't sinning. They were living a flawless life. He was saying, change your mind, change your mind, metanoia. That's what the word means, change your mind, so that you can bear fruit. So John the Baptist has these super legalists in front of him, and he's saying to these super legalists, repent so that you can bear fruit. What did they need to repent of? So they were doing good works, but not bearing fruit. And that's what it says in Colossians 1, 9 and 10. It says, I, I wish that you would bear fruit in every good work, meaning you can do good works and not bear fruit in them. They can be considered dead works, which is what he goes on to say. He says, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear this good fruit that he's talking about is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for the repentance of sin, but there's one that's coming after me that's mightier. I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There he's giving us so many clues as to how we're supposed to change our mind to live the Christian life. He says the axe is already at the tree and any branch that doesn't bear fruit will be cut off and thrown in the fire. Isn't that the same thing Jesus said in John 14? 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can bear no good fruit, but through me, you can bear fruit. It, that's what he's saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees, that they can, for once in their lives, bear fruit. They've got the chance of bearing fruit, but it takes a change of mind. What are we changing our mind from? And what are we changing our mind to? Exactly. And a couple more scary words in there, like unquenchable fire. But it doesn't say unending fire. It says a unquenchable fire, a fire that won't be put out until it's burned up everything that it's intending to burn up. And what is it intending to burn up? Those good works that are actually death, bearing fruit for death because they're works of human effort or works of the flesh or work that are obedience to the law, which the Pharisees had down pat. They lived it. They lived out the law. But they had to change their mind there, didn't they, Steve? They had to, they had to change from a system of keeping commandments to do, to do good works based on the source 
of keeping the commandments, would, which would be their human effort or their flesh. So what he was telling them when he said that what he was telling them to change their mind about was not sin and good works. What he was cha- telling them to change their mind about was the source that's going to be used to produce the good works. These are works that the Spirit only can produce. They're not works. They're works that the flesh can do, but they bear no fruit. They're a dead work, dead work. In in other words, what we're trying to say is John the Baptist was telling the Pharisees the exact same thing that Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 3.3 when he said, You foolish Galatians, after beginning in the Spirit, are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? He was telling the Pharisees, change your mind about your human effort so that you can bear fruit. Because Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That was the change of mind we have to have or the Pharisees had to have in regard to how they were going to live their lives out from this point on. He was telling them, change your mind about how you're going to live life because there's going to be a new way of life. That's what Paul said. This is my way of life that I teach everywhere in every church, a way of life in Christ Jesus, which is the opposite of a way of life in human performance. It's so important, Steve, because the law is the word of God, correct? Mm-hmm. So when someone gets up in front of maybe a congregation and they say, God has spoken me to me very clearly to preach the word of God to you today. And he starts preaching the Ten Commandments and telling them to stop sinning. That person needs to change their mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with what they're saying. It is the Word of God, but they're, what they need to change their mind about is not telling people what sin is and what, by giving them commandments, what, will ch- what they need to change their mind to is what we need to change our mind to from time to time also is that we're not going to attain our goal through human effort. Like Paul admonished the Galatians in Galatians 3, when he said, Are you so foolish? After beginning in the Spirit... Okay, so they're beginning in the Spirit. That means there's been an initial repentance, changing their mind to not relying on themselves, but depending on the Spirit. So he says, after beginning that way, are you so foolish? Are you now trying to attain your goal? Their goal would be sanctification, being set apart to be used by God, to have the Spirit control every aspect of your life, which would mean total rest for your flesh, or total rest for you, and a total reliance on the Spirit. So, in other words, Steve, the Pharisees had a, they did not need to be told what sin was or what sin wasn't. They knew adultery was wrong. They knew stealing was wrong. They knew it was a sin. That's not what they needed to to change their mind about. But see, that's the problem we have. That, I'm going to say it myself. That's the problem I had, is I thought that my problem was I just needed someone to yell at me, scream at me. An accountability part. I had an accountability. Very depressing. Mm -hmm. And you know what I did with the accountability partner? Hid from him. I lied to him. And I hid from him. Because it was too much to bear. But I didn't bear fruit with the accountability. Yeah. That's why Jesus was saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus was saying, come to me. I will live the Christian life for you. I will give you rest. Change your mind about who has the burden of the Christian life. Don't put that burden on yourself. Put the burden on me to live the Christian life through you. That's the change of mind that we're talking about. That's what the New Testament and the epistles That's the way in which 
the New Testament or the epistles use the word repentance. And yet it has just the word repentance has such a definition embedded in it, the traditional way of thinking about it, it's hard to break. It's hard to break that definition of turn from your sins. When we're seeing these scriptures here in front of us, and it's not Bill and I talking, it's actual scriptures telling us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By saying, come to me, He's actually saying, stop coming to yourself. Jesus, a, a good example was when the the Pharisees sent people to arrest Jesus. You remember that in John yeah. 16, I think it was. They went to arrest him, and they came back, and they became disciples of Jesus. Because they went there, and they listened to him. And you know what they did? They repented. And when they came back to the Pharisees, they said, the Pharisees were angry and they said, why didn't you arrest him? And their words were, no man ever spoke because Moses spoke and Moses pointed to the law and said, stop sinning. Jesus pointed people to him and said, rest. So that's where the word repentance comes from. It, it might help if I use the word repentance in a sentence that has nothing to do with the Bible. So if I was to say to Steve, Steve, are you coming to pick me up this afternoon? Go ahead and say yes. Yes. Okay. Steve, don't take the turnpike. Repent and take 95 because there was a wreck on the turnpike and the traffic is stopped. That is a proper use of the word repentance. Steve was going to go one way. I gave him some information that changed his mind. So what repentance is actually saying is don't rely on human effort anymore to attain your goal of living the Christian life. Change your mind. Depend on me. Don't depend on your human effort. Change your mind. Repent. Depend on me. I think Steve has a uh, another scripture here too. Now that we've brought up the idea of what New Testament or New Covenant repentance is, the idea being that we are to repent from trying to live the Christian life and let the Spirit of God live the Christian life through us and give the Spirit of God the credit for doing the good that we do. That's the repentance, that's the change of mind the New Testament is looking for. And, and I might as well come straight to a, a scripture that blatantly tells this, mentions this. In Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, By this time you ought to be teachers, but you need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk, not solid food. It says, for anyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He is a babe, but solid food is for the mature. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. He's saying you're not doing the turn from your sin and try harder type of repentance anymore. We're, we're not doing that repentance anymore. We are doing a rely on God to do it through you mentality. Now, because we are Christians, we've been released from the law and we no longer have the burden of pleasing God because we failed. The law proved that we failed. Now we are just the instruments in which God uses to carry on his ministry. He ministers through us, via his Holy Spirit, through us, doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's why he says a repentant, don't do a repentance from dead works in Hebrews 6.1. Don't do a repentance from dead works, but do the repentance that 
takes you off the performance treadmill and puts you on, I'm going to rely on the grace of God to do for me what I can't do for myself. That's what Paul said. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace of God was not in vain for me, for I labored harder than all the rest. But it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God in me doing the labor. That means Paul had repented from human performance to a reliance on God to live the Christian life through him. Hopefully we're beginning to to make sense in regard to this word repentance because it's such a confusing word. There's a, a story and it begins in 1 Corinthians about the guy that was having an adulterous affair with his father's mom, his father's wife, probably his stepmom, I guess you could say. And the whole church knew about it and the whole church wasn't really bothered about it. They were kind of happy celebrating his freedom. But Paul, if you remember, when he talks to the Corinthian church, he tells them to expel the guy, kick the guy out of your church. Not so much for what he was doing, but because of the attitude that he had for doing it. It was just this attitude of, I can do whatever I want because I'm free in grace to do it. But you're not free in grace to sin. You're free in grace to live righteous. You're free from the burden of sin that the law puts on you is what has been Paul's message from the beginning of his ministry. But he's saying, put this guy out. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he wants them to put the guy back in because the guy has changed his mind. So here's one example that seems like Paul was trying to make him feel bad. But look what he says here. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, For though I I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that my letter made you grieve. Now the grieving was not the goal, though just for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were grieved. You see that, Steve? Mm Mm-hmm. Not that you were grieved, but that you were grieved to repentance okay so not that you were felt bad about what you did i've rejoiced because you felt bad about you what you did and that led you to change your mind which is what the word repentance is for for you were grieved in a godly way now a godly grieving is different than a worldly grieving. A worldly grieving is just you're sad about the sins you've committed, and when you're sad about the commit sins you've committed, go about trying not with God's remedy, sacrifice of Christ for all sin for all time, but you go about trying to either offset your bad behavior with good behavior, and he wants you to repent of that. He wants you to change your mind about it. He wants you to turn to the once and all forgiveness of sins of Christ, and along with that, to a reliance on the Spirit. So he says in verse 9, I now rejoice that not you were gr- not that you were grieved, but that you were grieved to repentance. Okay, you guys, turn with me to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 24, and tell me if this use of the word repentance doesn't mean change your mind from human effort to the fact that God is doing it through you. It says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of their truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do the devil's will. God grants them repentance, and they come to a knowledge of the truth, and they escape say trap. The knowledge of the truth would be it found in Romans chapter 7. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to do. The very evil that I hate, 
doing this I do, but it's not me, but it's sin that dwells in me. That's the truth of the matter, that in my human nature, Paul says the truth of the matter in, I think it's Romans seven nineteen. he says, I know that no good thing dwells in me that is in my human nature. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. That's coming to a knowledge of the truth, understanding that in your human nature, sin resides and it overpowers you and makes you a prisoner to sin. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 when he said, I would just add that's one of those epinosis, meaning a full knowledge of Yes. A very clear understanding of there's no good thing that dwells in me. Yeah, it says, but he who practices the truth comes to the light that it may be shown as having his deeds done by God. It says, he who practices the truth in Second Timothy, it was saying that he would come to a knowledge of the truth. And the knowledge of the truth is that what has been done through us has been done by good. Apart from me, you can do nothing in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. Use me as the power source to live the Christian life. For the truth of the matter is, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's what Second Timothy 2.24 is saying, that we should be gentle when we instruct people in, in hopes that God would grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Wait a minute, Steve. Are you saying that it's actually the Holy Spirit that changed their mind to the knowledge of the truth? That God would grant them repentance? repentance by the idea of receiving a spirit of wisdom and revelation like Ephesians 1 15 and following talks about. Paul's praying for us to receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we could escape the snare of the devil who has taken us captive through the commandment. That's how the devil gets his opportunity to take us captive is through the commandment he does this that's the truth of the matter wow now that is so cool because that means it's the the anointing that teaches us as it uh, says in first john 2 the anointing is true and not counterfeit and it teaches us to remain in him not in our human effort and it actually says we need not that a man should teach us but yeah. that his anointing will teach us. So even though a person teaches us, like you're teaching today, not saying that people shouldn't teach, we're saying that the teaching that you're getting that is pointing you away from human effort, but pointing to a reliance of the Spirit, is actually the anointing working through a person whose mouth is moving as he's telling you to rely on the Spirit and Amen. change say your that mind. Again. Say that again. If I can. It's not that you don't need a teacher when it says in 1 John 2.20 that you need not a teacher, even though it says that verbatim. It's saying that you need not a teacher because you have an anointing, the Holy Spirit, who teaches you all things, and it teaches you to remain in Him. So, it's not their words. Steve knows someone very close to him that has this idea of your words and his words. And it's, it's true. His words, which is the Spirit, are teaching you to re rely on him, remain in him. So it says that the anointing teaches you one specific thing, which encompasses everything. And it's teaching you to abide in him. In other words, the anointing wants to, you to repent about one thing. Change your mind about one thing. Repent from your human performance to reliance on the Spirit of God within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Exactly. It, <laughs> I mean, it's over and over and over. The tree, 
the two trees in the Garden of Eden were the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, picture of the law, and the tree of life, a picture of relying on the Spirit. They chose, and God knew they would, and ordained it that way, different topic, but they chose to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with a, even though God had a specific purpose in them, was that they would they would take from that tree and indulge in human effort to the point of exhaustion, to the point of futility, to the point of realizing that they never, ever, ever brought forth fruit from their effort of good works. That tree was a dead seed and a dead word and a dead life that could never impossible to bring living fruit. So a better way was introduced. And that's the way of the Spirit. And that's what the whole repentance is all about. That's what the change of mind is all about. Now, people like me are at a huge advantage when it comes to changing your mind from human effort to relying on the Spirit. Now, why am I at a huge advantage? Because I'm such a basket case of human effort of trying to keep the law and, and produce good works. In fact, I've seen so many people argue about grace and reliance on the Spirit and say, no, 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 you still got it, you still got it, don't throw away the, the law, you still, law's good, you got to still keep the law. But I was a person that, I never made that argument. In fact, when I first heard someone talking about God does, apart from him, I can do nothing, I was like, wow, that is good news. It was good news because I didn't have any hope, any confidence, any reliance on my flesh I, and I did the accountability part I did the making myself accountable I did the naming all all my sins that I could think of in the morning when I got up and you know what happened I was late to work Steve because it took me so long to name all of them that I'd have to actually start driving to work so I could get to work on time I'm just being kind of facetious but what the spirit does is this this is how you know if the spirit is teaching you when you have this glorious freedom of reliance on your human effort and you have this total rest and confidence and relaxation that if anything is going to get done it's god supplying it god initiating it god putting the thought to do the good thing in the first place it's every from a to z God, 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 the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, reliance, trust, freedom from human effort. If you're getting that feeling, my friends, you're being led by the Spirit and you're relying on the Spirit. If you're feeling this sense of burden and not quite arrived there yet, you're relying still on your flesh. I think Steve was looking up a verse. I just thought of another classic example of repentance classic example of repentance in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Get a load of this. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For the truth of the matter is, it's God who works in you both to will and do his good pleasure. Say that again? That's an indicative statement, a statement of fact. The fact is God works in you to will and do his good pleasure. You will be totally willing not to sin and totally willing to do the right thing. It'll come naturally because God will be working on you to make you willing to do whatever needs to be done whatever is in the plan of God. It says, do what is pleasing to God. He works in you to will and do his good pleasure. Just read it, Philippians 2.13. And if a you're lot of working out your salvation, if you're trying to work out your salvation, you should fear yeah. and tremble because you can't do it. That's the repentance right there, a dead, dead-on repentance. Start fearing and trembling if you're trying to work out your salvation or change your mind and come to the realization that God works in you to will and do his good pleasure. That is what the Christian life is about. Just reliance on God to work in you 
to will and to do his good pleasure, to be a doer of the word. I've seen actually translations, Steve, that, that have the word, that has the word both in there. It says to both, both to will and to do. That's what the NAS says. It does say that, yeah. Yeah. Both to will. That's not a common thought. I thought you had to be willing, not God works in you to make you willing, or the willingness comes from the... Have you ever heard anybody preach on that subject and, and just preach all day long saying, God works in you to will and do his good pleasure. It's God who does it through you. You don't do it by your human determination, but God does it through you. No, you don't hear that all day long everywhere coming through the radio and the TV. But you should, but you should. That should be the focus of the Christian message to come to Jesus, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and get some rest from the Christian performance treadmill. Think about the amazement of a seed, Steve. I like to plant stuff and take a little, like if you were to say, Bill, let's make, let's get in the orange business. Let's grow oranges. Let's go to an orange grove. And I said, okay. And I handed you a seed, a little orange seed, and said, this is everything we need, Steve, to become millionaires in the orange produce business. Would you say that's enough? Probably not, would you? Is it enough? It is enough. Everything that God requires is put in his son. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But when it falls to the ground and dies, which is your old life, your human effort is dead. If it falls to the ground and dies, it resurrects and bears fruit. And that's the Holy Spirit inside of you is capable of of doing everything that God desires for you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. There, You don't need to beat the seed. You don't need to yell at the seed. You don't need to give the seed an accountability partner. You don't need to make the seed feel bad and make the seed feel guilty. Do you? What do you do? You just water it. Water is the grace message over and over. Just keep repeating. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is alive in you. He's in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And the burden is off you. You you rest. Actually, in the life of a farmer, usually things happen at night in the darkness when no one's watching. But you go to bed, no fruit. You wake up in the morning, see this little tiny orange there it's the beginning of a fruit and that's the way it is with the spirit sometimes you don't see the spirit's activity jesus compares the the kingdom of god to fruit to seeds all the time and so that's what he was saying that's the beginning of jesus ministry when we go back to the word repent where we originally heard it jesus said repent the kingdom of god is near and by near you know what he actually meant steve the kingdom of God will be in you. Right. You can't get more near than that. And what is the kingdom of God? He, he compared it to a seed all the time. The kingdom of God is not what you do and what you avoid, but the kingdom of God in Romans 14.17 is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? You change your mind. The righteousness, peace, and joy is in you. It's not something that you have to strive for. It's actually in you because it's his spirit is inside of you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So when you read verses like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, think of it with this new meaning, change your mind. Think of it that way. Change your mind. The striving is over. But keeping the law to bear fruit is dead. It's been proven to never produce good fruit. The people in the Old Testament, Moses preached a dead word because God told him to. He, he preached the law, the ministry of death. And guess what? Everyone died. That ministry that we're to repent of, I mean, did you ever think that God is actually saying you change your mind about keeping the law, that you're not under the law? That's a repentance that everyone has to do. They need to change their mind under the law. That's why Steve's done so many podcasts just on that subject alone. And I think many, many more need to be done about it because that's a hard one to give up is giving up this idea that keeping the law will bring fruit. 
that's what you need to repent of. Or I like the word change your mind better. I wish there was a, a single word for the three words change your mind. There is one Greek word, metanoia, but that's why it's so important that we thought it was to, you know, and I don't want to say, I don't know how the word repent got into a Latin word got into our New Testament, but it did. It's not, the word of God is not corrupt at all by translation using the word repentance, which has a different meaning than change your mind. But that's where we are. So we have to take what the real meaning of the word when they use the word repentance and give it the the meaning that the Strong's Dictionary actually does, because it doesn't say the word repent. If you click on the Strong words, it says metanoia meaning a change of mind or change of thought. So that in mind, just so that you have a, a clear understanding of, about what was said, the Greek word metanoia means change your mind. Unfortunately, our English translations of the Bible didn't translate from Greek to English. They translated from Greek to Latin and put in a Latin word or the English form of a Latin word in those passages that said repent. Really never was repent. It was always change your That's the definition of that Greek word, metanoia. And we're not saying that the, the idea of repentance from do, doing wrong things is not there in the Bible because between us and our friends, we've got to repent from the wrong that we do all the time, or our friends will not be able to hang out with us anymore. But the way to do that repenting is to change your mind about who is the source of the repent. It's God in you. Who is the source of pleasing the friends around you so that they don't say you should repent from that all day long, or you should repent from what you just said because you're saying something that's actually cool instead of something that's foolish, rely on the Holy Spirit and you will say the right thing. You will blossom as a Christian. And for 20 years, I I never blossomed as a Christian. I tried and tried and tried and tried as hard as I could. I, I stayed on the performance treadmill for so many years that I just about went insane. But then I began to rely on God to do it through me. I repented. I changed my mind about how to get the job done. See, we're not telling you that you sin you, is okay. That sin is okay. We're telling you how to stop sinning. Do you realize we're giving you the formula to stop sinning? The formula is rely on the Holy Spirit within you to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's what we mean we mean by repent. We mean change your mind and get off the human performance treadmill and get on the I live by the power of God mentality. So with that in mind, allow us to pray just a little bit that Father God, we pray that uh, everyone would take root in what what the scripture showed us today because it wasn't us giving our opinion. It was the scriptures and the definitions of words and it was just all the facts, Jack. It was straight up, any problem that you have is with the Bible, not with us, because it was the Bible that we were pointing to, and the Bible brought out the meaning of repentance, or the new covenant meaning of repentance, or another aspect of the word repentance. Bible did that. So, Father, I ask that everybody receive the word of God just as it is the word of God and not the word of men because it was on the page of the Bible and I ask that they take root in this idea and you cause them to walk in this change of mind that they walk the rest of their days in a reliance on your Holy Spirit to cause them to blossom. In Jesus' name I pray.